test. I think I think we're live. Hello, everybody. Here we are. All right, I'll I'll go ahead and you know welcome to uh, the Book and Sheed Show, um, a basketball pod. Sheed, thank you for uh, carving out the time for us to talk. No, ex- excited to record this podcast and excited to you know send it out to the world for millions to listen to. Yeah. I mean, I know this is something we've been talking about doing for a couple of weeks, uh, just finally sitting down and, and actually getting to it. Uh, you know, we're, we're still workshopping the name. A couple of the, the leaders in the clubhouse are uh, defending tooth and the nail, a little, little help defense reference. Um, my personal favorite is Infinite Text by uh, Scott especially because we do have Sheed on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Do we want to? Uh, yeah. And I mean, go ahead. I think, I think I want to, you know, let the listeners decide. I think we're open to other suggestions as well. And so whatever you guys think, please let us know. Um, and, and, you know, eventually, hopefully by episode three, four or five, we'll have a, you know, a set name in place. Awesome. All right. So, so our agenda for today is, we're going to start off uh, talking about uh, Jazz Nuggets, talk about the, the Nuggets comeback win, Jamal Murray's performance. Then we'll hop over to uh, Clippers Mavs. Obviously, that one a little bit less exciting, although there were some, some fireworks. Uh, then we'll move on to a quick preview of Celtics Raptors, uh, followed by a couple of quick hitters on the NBA. And then finally, we'll, uh, we'll close it up with a quick COVID corner. Uh, segment it's what you have to do today in today's uh you know today's society all right so uh you want to get started on jazz nuggets yeah let's do it you can you can kick us off given that i all right i stupidly scheduled a haircut for the uh third and fourth quarter um (laughs) which i thought was going to be safe but jamal murray had other yeah my entire I was working on during the first half uh, is going to get saved for a later date. So, uh, you know, not that my ideas were that much better. Uh, it was a 117-107 Nuggets win, uh, coming back from a 15-point uh, third quarter deficit. And, you know, it was a great performance by Nuggets. So so let's start, start there. Um, you know, the real standout performer was Jamal Murray, 42-8-8 on 26 shots following up from Sunday's brilliant performance as well, which was 50, 11, and 7 um, in a loss. He hasn't had a turnover since the third quarter of Game 3, um, and he really just took over down the stretch here. I mean, it was a tight game throughout, but uh, Royce O'Neal picked up a couple of dumb fouls, a couple of moving screens in the second half, and had five early on in the fourth. Um, Snyder kept him in for a while, but shifted to Donovan Mitchell guarding Murray, and, and, and Murray, just, Murray just cooked. So it was a really impressive performance by, by them. And I guess my question for you is, uh, what do you think the Jazz should do defensively here? Because we've been talking a lot, and there's been a lot of talk about how well Mitchell's playing and how Denver has no answer. Um, but Murray's playing almost just as well, and it looks like Utah has no answer. So sort of what would you, 
you know, what do you think they should do and, and how should they move forward from, from this point? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I'll start off by saying that you would think a guy, Donovan Mitchell, who coming into the draft, people really pegged him as, as a defensive presence would, would have better luck covering Jamal Murray. But I think part of the problem is the, the, the pick and roll with Jokic, you just, you have to respect his three point shot and you can't just leave him wide open on the pop. And so especially with a guy like Gobert who likes to hang back in the paint. I think they're having a lot of trouble containing that pick and roll. I think one thing you could try to do, and I know a lot of different teams have experimented with this is what if you, you know, stashed Gobert on a different player, let him hang back on the paint and put somebody else on Jokic. So you can either switch the screen a little better or perhaps try to contain it just with a more agile guy. That's my initial thought. I don't know if there's anything else that comes to mind for you. Yeah, and that's not that's not a bad plan. I think uh, you know there's not a perfect answer here, but I think um, it's complicated because, like you said, it's it's there are two best players, Jokic and Murray, in a pick and roll, and and you can't just trap you can't just trap Murray because Jokic is gonna you know Jokic is gonna dominate basically if you if you let Jokic roll and and trap and Jokic catches the ball you know in the middle at the free throw line it's a four on three that's where he thrives that's you know he's a seven foot tall center version of you know larry bird is a passer right. or whatever so so that's that's not the answer um speaking of Jokic, another note i had in this game was it was really the first game where i felt like Jokic's improved physique showed up he lost a lot of weight during you know quarantine during this the, you know three or four five month stoppage that we've we've been through in the season and i think people were expecting big things from him in this series and really you know Gobert's, you know, played much better than him throughout the first four games. And I think here his physique really showed up because um, Mike Malone, and, and you know, give him credit, he, he understood it was an elimination game. And, and he kept Jogic and Murray in for all 24 minutes, second half. And Jogic was okay. And Quinn Snyder's job this entire series and what he's been doing has been matching every single Jogic minute with a Gobert minute. So you'll see in the most box scores that Jogic and Gobert will normally play the same amount of minutes. And uh, the backups, so Mason Plumley and uh, Tony Bradley for the Jazz will be playing the same amount of minutes. And in this game, it was about five minutes each uh, for Jokic and, and Bradley. So about 42, 43 minutes for both the centers. And it felt like Jokic held up well offensively. Jokic, not a great defender ever. So it didn't really affect him that much in that end. And then on the other end, it looked like Gobert was tired. And Gobert struggled to protect the, protect the rim as well. So Murray attacked and attacked and attacked throughout the second half. And had way more success uh, than than people usually have attacking Gobert at the rim. And I think part of that was due to the fact that, you know, Gobert had to be out there for 24 straight minutes, and it's hard for a man that big yeah. to do that. Um, I guess the, the, the last note I had here in the Nuggets was, how does Malone want to close the games for the rest of the series? Uh, it seems like to me, Murray and Jokic obviously yeah. are two locks. Jeremy Grant's been playing pretty well, shooting pretty well. So I think he's pretty much a lock to close the game. Tonight it was Dozier, uh, PJ Dozier, who is previously a two-way player for both the Thunder uh, and the Celtics, and has been, you know, had sporadic minutes throughout the year, um, but has is a good wing defensive presence. And Michael Porter Jr., uh, great scorer for, for for force placing, but you know, PJ Dozier was a DNP CD in Game Four, and Michael Porter Jr. got benched because he hasn't been really able to guard anyone, and I know he was a little better today. But clearly Malone doesn't really trust anybody. Um, you know, I think he'd love to have Harris and Barton. Um, but 
who are who have both missed all the games in this series. But I guess, you know, how does Malone want to keep going forward from this point? Because he has, you know, he has Torrey Craig, who's a good defender, and you know it's pretty similar to PJ Dozier. He has Plumley. They play a little bit with Jokic together, but it's not really an answer here. I don't think he has Monte Morris, who's a little small, but can add a stabilizing presence in the backcourt, or he can go to Millsap too, who you know is you know aging. It's still okay, but you know I don't know. Nobody brings the offense into the floor, so I guess you know. Do you have any other thoughts on that situation yeah, for the I for mean, the I, Nuggets? I think I would keep Michael Porter Jr. on the floor. I think you, uh, especially on the nights where. Murray isn't going nuclear. You kind of need his uh, his scoring punch. Um, so I, obviously they're going to hunt him a little bit on the defensive end. But last night he was you know plus eighteen. Seemed like he he held up okay and didn't look totally lost. I do think if you're playing Porter, maybe the other guy you have out there is Tory Craig. That way, you know you at least have two pluses defensively and Craig and uh, Grant on the floor, and then. Maybe Murray's about an even, Jokic and, and Porter are minuses. Um, I, I would not have yeah. Paul Millsap on the floor. He, he looks old, honestly, especially with his shooting dropping off a little bit. I do not think that uh, he belongs out there in crunch time. Yeah, and I think especially in this matchup, I mean, Jeremy Grant's really a four in today's NBA and can really be a backup five right. if you wanted him to be. Um, and they have Jokic on the floor. And so, you know, Millsap's big and, he, you know, I think Millsap's an effective matchup if he's trying to guard someone biggish. If I don't know, just for example, if they were playing the Suns for some reason, if Saric was on the floor playing the four, you know, Millsap may be a good matchup there. So his Grant maybe gets posted up, posted up by him or something. But here it's like the Jazz are playing Royce O'Neal, who's like six five and two hundred and ten pounds at the you know at the power forward or, or Joe Ingles. It's like it's not anyone that you're worried about the size the size issues. So you know, I agree with Craig. I think. You know, I don't really know how Malone decides between Craig and Dozier. You know, Craig's probably more renowned as a defender. I think Dozier, while inexperienced, probably has a little more offensive juice, but not not much. Um, so, uh, you know, I think what you said makes sense. And I think especially in a game where where um, Murray is, you know, not taking over. But to show that his trust in MPJ here when Murray was taking over um, was definitely interesting. Yeah. Let's move to the Jazz side of the ball. Um uh, how do the Jazz, you know, change their plan of attack yeah, and defending Murray? about that a little bit. Uh, I think, you know, maybe trying to throw uh, a different defender on Jokic so that there's more switchability. The other thing is just, like, try to double him and then have somebody immediately help on Jokic and make someone other than Murray and Jokic beat you. Um, you know, whether that's Grant or Craig or Dozier, whichever of those two guys are out there. Uh, I think you got to do that instead of letting Murray cook. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I wouldn't I think it's different than James Harden, obviously, but there are teams that essentially just sometimes send two guys at, at James Harden. If Murray's really, really cooking, I, you know, I wouldn't be shocked to change it up and, you know, throw two guys at him briefly and double off of Dozier or whatever and scramble back. Because, it, again, it's like we talked about it. It's like it's, it's, it's Murray and Jokic, and there's MPJ space on the floor, and then it's two guys who are, you know, at best average offensively. So I just find it hard to believe you can let – Murray take over like that without trying something new, you know, something different. Um, so yeah. we'll see how, we'll see how Quinn Snyder adjusts moving forward. He's, you know, he's a really good coach. Um, and I think yeah. he'll make adjustments moving forward. Speaking of Quinn Snyder being a really good coach, um, you know, the jazz run really nice stuff on offense. Um, and it's nice to see, and it turns out it's helpful to, you know, for scoring. I mean, I think 
we're used to this isolation ball, which we'll talk about the Clippers and we'll, you know, the Rockets and, you know, lots of, lots of teams just let their best player cook. Mavs, same way, kind of. Um, but the Jazz really move the ball and run nice offense, I guess. What have you seen that you've liked mm-hmm. and, and where did that get, where's that get your mind thinking? Yeah, I mean, there's just so much side-to-side movement that you see guys catching the ball with, you know, a half a step or a full step on the recovering help defender. And I think, you know, where it took my mind is watching today's NBA this year, you look at some of the juggernaut offenses and it's the Mavericks, the the Rockets. And I think if I think back to a couple of years ago in the Warriors, part of what made them so transcendent is they had those Luka, James Harden type talents in, you know, Steph Curry and, and Kevin Durant, but they also had that ball movement and player movement that the Jazz have. Uh, and, and so you got to wonder a little bit with teams like the Rockets and the Mavs, like what would their offense look like if they had, you know, Luca and James Harden attacking guys off the dribble, but at the same time on the backside, they have guys setting flare screens and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, perhaps complicates a bit of the catch and shoot that, that they've been so good at, but that's, that's where my mind kind of, kind of took me. Um, one, one question, you know, while we're talking about the jazz and offense, I, I can't help but wonder is what would this team look like if they had Bogdanovich? Yeah, it's, in, it's interesting. I think, I think they'd be even more lethal, right? I mean, I think, look, I, I don't, it's, a, it's an interesting question of what their best five is. I think for a lot of the season, Conley was really, really struggling. So it was probably Bogdanovich in for Conley with, you know, Ingles, Mitchell, O'Neal, and Gobert. Um, but, mm-hmm. but now I don't really know. I think, I think it'd be helpful, definitely, obviously, because, you know, there's some minutes you could take away from. I mean, Niang played 18 minutes. You'd probably, I think he would be a less piece, 10 minutes, you know. 10 minutes. Juwan Morgan played five minutes that I think he would never play if Bogdanovich was available. Um, and, and, you know, they're, they're, they're lo- relying heavily on their guys, right? 37 minutes for O'Neal, 38 for Mitchell, 35 for Conley. So maybe you take some of those guys minutes. I'm not sure if he's – look, he's a very talented scorer, and it, I think it's very game-dependent on if he's in the lineup or not because I think, look, he is the worst defender of what they have on the perimeter in terms of – you know, they're starting five right now, plus him. They're sixth best player. It'd be a great piece off the bench because Jordan Clarkson's playing 26 minutes a game. Look, I like Jordan Clarkson. He can really, you know, score off the bench, but... but I never Bogdan- thought I those words <laughs> come out of your mouth. I like Jordan Clarkson. I mean, he plays a role in today's NBA, which is kind of hard to his career, I think, but, but he has a role, but I think, look, Bogdanovich is every bit the score that Clarkson is and is better off the ball than Clarkson is and, and it has more positional size and can do more defensively so I think the Clarkson was a minus seven here I think you know if you could take he played 26 minutes I think ideally you'd probably want Clarkson in the 15 to 18 minute range in the playoffs yeah. um, so I think I don't think it would change things drastically in terms of who they play I think helped them get more rest and he allowed them to rely more on their bench or you know spread out their minutes more very similar to what you know, basically happens with the Celtics with Hayward on the floor versus Hayward injured is that big change in the starting lineup. The issue is that you're giving spot minutes to guys that you don't really want to, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think Quinn, I don't think Quinn Snyder has any desire to play Juwan Morgan, uh, you know, who's perfectly fine, but doesn't really do anything on the floor. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. One last question that we'll wrap up with the Jazz. You know, we're coming up on 15 minutes on this game. I guess time flies when you're having fun. But uh, 
one thing I couldn't help but wonder: what is what does Rudy Gobert look like in two or three years? Is he is he Roy Hibbard? Like, is he, is his demise going to be that fast? Yeah, I don't know. I think look, I think Roy was more, you know, was heavier and was less, and was less long. I think he was good because he was big and strong and could and go vertical on guys. But I think the physical tools were likely to wane a lot faster for Roy than they were for Rudy. Um, I think Rudy will still be good in two to three years. I, I think he'll probably be, you know, maybe a little worse than he is now, but not much. I think, like, I think we can get into this in the, in the jazz off season preview. If we were to get to this point is that what do the jazz do moving forward is fascinating because Rudy's going to need an extension at some point. And he's a good player, you know, defensive player of the year a few times. He's, he's obviously very good, but, I mean, is he deserving of, you know, $35 million? I don't think rightfully give him that just because he's going to, like, he, like, centered age, not well. And, like, 32, 30, ready to go make it 35 year is a very bad contract. And I think, as you can see with how Mitchell's played here, like, I think the Jack can sort of keep this status quo for this season, this postseason, in another year. And then they need to decide what to do in terms of Rudy. And Mitchell because it's a relatively aging roster um, surrounding those two, um, and like yep. I said, they might need to pivot and go all around Mitchell, and maybe get some young guys and try to team him up with a younger superstar or younger star. Um, because you know Ingles is on the wrong side of thirty, Collins on the wrong side of thirty, Bogdanovich is, I think, thirty. Um, you know O'Neal's in his late twenties, so that's fine, but. But that's their, that's their core, right? So, you know, after next year, they're going to need to pivot again. And that's fine. I'm not saying that a bad way. I'm just saying that and that's matter-of-factly what needs to happen. So do they think they can ride a team that's paying, you know, let's call it 60% of the cap or 65% of the cap to just Gobert and Mitchell? Can Gobert and Mitchell and role players win a title? Um, I don't think so. So yeah. it, it wouldn't shock me if they keep Gobert and then, something you know but not a five-year max and, and see what happens um so that's sort of my thoughts on that yeah makes sense uh you, you want to move you want to move on to to, to, to clippers Mavs? yeah let's do it uh do you want to you want to kick us off with a little recap of the clippers yeah uh so clippers dominate from start to finish here 150 154 uh 111 uh and really what stuck out is is when the offense finds a rhythm, the shot making is extremely impressive. Uh, 22 of 35 from three, which is bananas. Um, yeah. I, mean, I mean, that's right, not the yeah. one point I think was three for three from three at that point. I, okay. This, this yeah. game, maybe the mass. Yeah. And I, 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 you know, there were some Pat Patterson threes at the end of the game and Rodney Magruder threes. So I think some of that's inflated by the end, but uh, it's just extremely impressive shot making. And it's why they're so hard to guard because it's, it's the exact opposite of, of, of what the Jazz do. It's not, it's not crazy offense. It's not super innovative. It's have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and then get buckets. And if you can guard them, we have Lou Williams. He can get a bucket. If you can guard him, you know, we have Montrezl Hale rolling to the rim. And if you can guard him, we have, you know, Marcus Morris who can make spot ups. And it's just, there's a lot of weapons. Um, and yeah. I think it's why they can look so hit or miss because because it can be a little iso ball heavy 
and not in a bad way. I think that's what they want to do. But when you're playing ISO ball and guys aren't making shots and you're, you know, challenging Kawhi and Paul George and Paul George has really struggled for the first four games of the series, it, it, you know, it can look a little ugly. But um, mm-hmm. when it's going well, it's they're almost impossible to beat. Uh, yeah, and one thing I noticed in terms of it going well is like that their bench had so much noise and energy in this game, and I think it's actually especially important for the Clippers because neither of their you know quote unquote leaders in Kawhi Leonard or Paul George are, are really vocal guys. It's not like you have a LeBron James or a Russell Westbrook or even what we're starting to see out of Luca out there. Um, you you kind of need those Pat Beverleys and Montrezl Harrells on the sideline yelling and getting guys fired up when you don't have the crowd. So, so that was, that was something that I noticed about, you know, the Clippers and the energy that they brought. Um, Speaking of Trez, you know, one thing I'd love to get your thoughts on is what is doc going to do with Trez? Yeah. I mean, I think he looked better in this game, Um, but he's still clearly out of shape. And look, I I don't mean that as a criticism of him because he, he left the bubble for a few weeks. His grandmother died. He did be with his family. It's totally understandable that he's out of shape, but there's a question of what does he do in this series? Because through the first four games, Boban was kicking his ass and you know, Boban's fine. I think everyone loves Boban, but like that's not a great sign for Trez and it's not a great sign for the Clippers. Um, but I think he doc needs to stick with Trez, even if Trez is a net negative in this series, um, because he's just going to be more important later on. You know, they're going to play, you know, whether they pay, play the Jazz or the Nuggets, they're going to need center minutes in, like, 40 center minutes to guard Gobert or Jokic. And yeah. and it, it's Zubac is not going to play 40 minutes, so they, he needs to play in that series. They're going to need center minutes to guard the Lakers. They're going to need center minutes to deal with the Bucs. You know, Trez can, Trez can be a huge factor on the glass against the Bucks or a huge factor on the glass if they're playing the Rockets. So, you know, Trez maybe isn't a positive in this series. Like, you could convince me that playing Jamichael Green over Trez would would be a positive for the Clippers against the Mavs right now. But I think they need Trez to be good to win the title. So I, I understand that part of it. And I think Doc is playing Trez to get him into shape. And whether if it's a slight net negative, if they can survive, which, you know, now up 3-2, it looks like they are, you know, more likely than not going to survive the Mavs, then it's the right decision. Um, yeah. No, I think you're right. It does seem like that's what Doc is doing because even in a game like this where, you know, the Mavs are going small quite a bit, Jermichael Green only got 13 minutes. Um, and so it seems like Doc, especially because they've, it seems, grown increasingly comfortable with, with throwing Marcus Morris out there at the five sometimes, it, he, he doesn't want to have to lean on Jermichael Green at the five. So I, I think you're 100% right in, in trying to get Trez up to speed. Yeah, and I know you watch this game from more of a Mavs lens. So, you know, what are your thoughts on what the Mavs did here? Obviously a really tough game, but and how they can address it moving forward. Yeah, wow. I mean, uh, lots to talk about here. I think the, the biggest thing that sticks out to me, and, you know, even just looking at the box score, 154 points, is that the Mavs really struggled uh, defensively in this game. And I think especially without Kristaps Porzingis, it's so hard for the Mavs to both cover Kawhi and have rim protection. So, you know, for, for the majority of the first half, they had Kleba on Kawhi. And, you know, he does an okay job, which, you know, I guess against Kawhi is a good thing. But, um, 
when when Kleeb is out there as the five and he's covering Kawhi, you're really left totally unguarded at the rim if anybody else gets by their guy. And so, it, it, you know, they brought in Michael Kidd-Gilchrist to try to address this, but then Kawhi immediately gets an and one. Then they throw Dorian Finney-Smith on him and he struggles as well. So, you know, I, I think the bottom line there is it, it's hard to cover a locked-in Kawhi. And when you don't have Porzingis' size on the back end, there's just a, a, a lot, not a lot of resistance on the way to the rim, which I think, you know, speaks to another thing is this felt like a game where the Mavs really missed Dwight Powell. I think he's one of those guys you could have out there protecting the rim. And I think also on the offensive end, um, you know, he, he gets them some easy buckets that you don't see a lot of other guys get. And, you know, don't get me wrong. Bobin has given them great minutes, but he, he's a liability defensively. And you, you could see that in this game. And, I think having Dwight Powell out there to get some of those easy locks would just give them some, some free baskets. Um, so, you know, that's one thing I'd love for you to weigh in on is, you know, what are the Mavs going to do offensively moving forward? They can't just have Luka go at guys for 48 straight minutes. Yeah, look, I think Luka's definitely beat up right now and he got tired, but Every time they need a bucket, it's just Luca, 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 and that's a really positive thing, obviously too, because he had forty-three, seventeen, and thirteen, you know, and hit the game-winning three in Game Four. But there, there is a need, I think, to get some more, you know, second ball handler, second scorer. I mean, look, Trey Burke's playing twenty-five minutes a game, and he was released by the Sixers, you know. He's playing well, don't get me wrong, but like, there's a reason why Trey Burke's playing 25 minutes a game, and it's because even if you have a Luka, you need some second, second ball-handling options. And even with KP, I think like, Porzingis is a great player. He's going to be a great pick-and-pop. He's a great fit next to Luka. But I think if you look at all the teams that have this really good isolation scorer, there often is a second, you know, a second banana, whether it's LeBron with AD or it's Harden has Westbrook, right, who – there are possessions where Harden's in the game, but even when he's in the game, he's spotting it from three and letting Westbrook kick, uh, cook. It's Tatum has Kemba Walker next to him. It's all those things, right? So yeah. as the Clippers' lead grew, Luka was trying to drive every single possession, and that's just not sustainable because, I mean, sustainable if he's playing 30 minutes a night, but in the playoffs, he needs to play 42 minutes a night, and you can't drive 42 minutes a night. You need to have offensive possessions where Luka's in the game but he's able to take a rest while playing. Yeah, um, I, I totally agree. You need those secondary creators. You know, you look back at all the teams that have won championships lately. You know, LeBron had Kyrie. LeBron had D Wade. You know, Steph had Draymond, and maybe to a lesser extent Clay. But even you know, then he had Sean Livingston or Iguodala who could get in the lane and then make plays. And if you look back at last year's Raptors team. You know, obviously Kawhi was shouldering a lot of the burden, but the, the games where you know they really pulled away from teams is when, you know, Van Vliet or Lowry were also getting in the lane and making plays. So I think, you know, a, a great observation there and, and something that I'm sure the Mavs will have, uh, you know, in focus this off season, whenever it comes. Yeah. You have any more thoughts um, from the Mavs perspective here on this game or for the rest of the series before we move on to some more, you know, just observations we had? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll just give you a couple quick hitters. So one thing is Seth Curry, not not just a jump shooter. 
Curry you know, making some nifty floaters. I think that not just the jump shooter uh, praise is typically reserved for uh, white guys in college basketball, but Seth Curry, you know, typically pegged as just a shooter. And I think not just this game, but the previous game, he's, he's kind of been lighting it up from two as well. Um, another guy, Trey Burke, he's playing for a contract. Um, and I think you can see he's, he's playing confident. He's playing really hard on defense and he's given them, really great minutes. You don't need to go into detail there, but I, you know, as a Michigan guy, I had to give him a, a quick shout out. Of course. And then the last thing that I'm just kind of keeping an eye on. And, you know, I think a lot of other podcasts that talks about this is, is Zubach's size really does give the maps problems. And so when, when Porzingis is on the floor, he can neutralize that a little bit because he's you know such a threat to shoot it from 26 feet. Um, and so Zubac either has to come away from the rim or they have to scramble their matchups, et cetera. But if Porzingis is con- going to continue to not be on the floor, I, the Mavs are going to have to figure out a way to, to get Zubac out of the lane because I think he really gives their guys, especially Luka, driving to, to the rim problems. Yeah, and look, Kleba's a, Maxi Kleba is a really solid shooter, but you know, I think the Clippers are content with him. You know, shooting semi-contested threes and and Zubat's just operating the way and taking away all the drives that Luca's trying to make. So it's a struggle, right? I mean, and we're talking about a really young Mavs team that has basically Luca and Porzingis plus role players, and Luca's playing hurt and Porzingis is out hurt. So it doesn't surprise me that they struggle, but they're going to need both back as healthy as they can be for Game Six and playing at their best if they want to hang in there with the Clippers. Yep, I think you're right. Um, one other thing, you know, moving beyond the teams is it, it this game got pretty chippy. Um, you know, Carlisle got thrown out in the third quarter, uh, which I, I love your observation that, you know, ball don't lie there. Kawhi missed both of the free throws after those two technicals. Um, the other thing that I saw that, you know, there's there's been a lot of chatter on Twitter today is that looked like a, a pretty dirty play for Marcus Morris, coincidentally stepping on Luca's bad ankle. What do you think about that? Did that look intentional to you? Yeah, look, I look, I, I wouldn't put it past Marcus Morris to do something that could be considered dirty. Uh, he came out today and said he would never do that on purpose on Twitter. Um, and looking at the video, you know, it didn't really look like he was like looking at Luca's foot when he stepped on it. So there's a chance it was by accident. I don't know if he was like, I'm going to go bother Luca, lean into his leg or whatever. Um, it's hard to say, right? It wasn't like super, super obvious of him like lifting his foot up and stomping on him, but it's definitely questionable to have, you know, be stepping on someone's hurt ankle, you know, ankle when it's the one that's been hurt and bothering them all series long. Yeah. I think if David Stern was still the commissioner uh, and wanted this game to go to seven games, Marcus Morris might be getting slapped with a, a suspension for game <laughs> six, but uh I think Silver runs a little bit uh, cleaner of a program. So my guess would be that Morris doesn't get a suspension or anything like that. I'm, I'm sure he'll get a slap on the wrist um, and will be watched very closely in game six. But I, I would agree. It didn't look so malicious that, you know, you got to kick the guy out for a game and what could be, you know, a, a series determiner. So a lot, Definitely. lot to watch out for moving forward in this Mavs Clippers series. Um, I'm excited. It has, It is definitely – honestly, I think exceeded everyone's expectations. People seem to think that the Clips were just going to roll the Mavs, and, and, and Luca has had uh, a lot to say about that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, look, the Mavs offense is so impressive, and I think they've been helped by the fact that, that Beverly hasn't played much. And But, you know, they didn't have the 
best offense in NBA history by net rating. I mean, but for points per hundred possessions for no reason. Right. So, you know, no matter how much they struggle defensively and you can see in a game like this, they have their issues. If you can score with the best of them, you can stay in every game with every team. Yeah, exactly. All right. On to the Celtics Raptors preview. Um, obviously there's, there's a lot of uh, stuff external to basketball swirling around. That's I think uh, throwing this series into uh, a bit of, of question, but we'll, we'll set that stuff aside. You know, we're basketball guys. Let's talk basketball. Um, you want to kick us off with just some general thoughts? Yeah, look, obviously Hayward's out for um, the whole series with his ankle sprain. I mean, I guess there's a chance if it goes seven, he maybe plays, but it'd be pretty shocking. Um, Lowry sprained his ankle in game four against the Nets uh, on Sunday, and there's been limited updates there. Um, so we'll see how when he will be available to play. I assume he'll be available at some point in the series, and it, I would not be surprised if he's available for game one. But we'll see how healthy he looks. Um, and then obviously it's it's Stevens versus Nurse, right? I think Nurse is without question the best coach in the NBA, and I think Stevens is a top five coach as well. And so, you know, that coaching matchup and that chess match is going to be fascinating to watch. Um, yeah. What's that? Chess- Go ahead. Let's let's start with uh, Celtics on offense, Raptors on defense. How do you think Nick Nurse is going to want to match up on Tatum? Who's he, who's he going to throw at him? How's he going to shuffle the rest of uh, rest of those matchups? Yeah, he has a lot of options. I mean, yeah, he can play. He can put Pascal on him, but I imagine press Pascal to do more of the offensive load. So I would expect Siakam to be on either Smart or Jalen Brown. Um, OG Anobi is one of the best wing defenders in the NBA, so I'd expect him to get the uh, Tatum assignment. But Tatum often struggles more with smaller, sturdier guards. You know, which is the mold that both Lowry and Van Vliet, you know, come from. So mm. he has all sorts of options, um, and it's interesting because you know he'll probably switch it up and, and change things up and continue to adjust. But I'm interested to see who starts on Tatum um, in, in Game One. Um, yeah, I think if, a, if I'm Nick Nurse, I'm probably sticking OG and Anobi on him and saying, "Hey, you're there to make." Uh, make Tatum's life difficult and then you adjust from there. But Nick nurse isn't the best coach in the NBA for uh, always doing the predictable thing. So we'll see. Yeah. And the, and the other main note here from the Celtics on offense perspective is that the Celtics have extremely limited options past the starting lineup. This is the issue we talked about a little bit earlier with, with Hayward being out, you know, move smart into the starting lineup and the bench is pretty thin. So one, how heavy of a workload can the Celtics top four guards and wings play. Um, can they all play 40 minutes a night? Uh, Kemba, Kemba especially because he's the one coming off that knee injury. Um, and then what does Stevens do, you know, with his bench? I think Wanamaker has been pretty solid. And then he has to have some minutes on the wing, which would have to be Ojale or Langford or Grant Williams. And he has to pick minutes at big, which is Cantor, who had a great series against Embiid, but that's a better matchup for him um, versus Time Lord who's a rim runner, lob threat, who can be more of a factor and had a really great game um, during the playing games against the Raptors. So I guess where do you think Stevens goes with the two other spots on the bench next to, to Wanamaker? Yeah, I mean, your guess is as good as mine. I, it seems like in big games he's trusted Grant Williams more than Ojale. So you got a guy like Giannis on the court. So 
I think, you know, at like the four, the four ish spot, I would expect Grant Williams to get those minutes in terms of the big, um, I, don't, I think the the Raptors will tear apart Cantor in the pick and roll, even though, even if it's just Van Vliet and Lowry who are good, but not, you know, unstoppable pick and roll players. I just see Nick nurse, you know, absolutely exposing Cantor. Uh, so we may see some time Lord minutes, um, but, you know, Steven seems to always throw Cantor out there, give him a chance, see how he's holding up. Uh, and then if things get, you know, really nasty, he limits his minutes. But um, I would expect that Cantor gets absolutely torched if he's on the court. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Um, shifting to the other side of the ball, you know, what are your main questions with the Raptors on offense, Celtics on defense? Yeah, I, I mean, the first one, and I know we were going back and forth a little bit on this in our kind of preparation for this pod is, Who's going to cover Spicy P? Yeah, I mean, you said Tatum. Um, wouldn't shock me. Tatum's a good defender. I, I think I would probably put Jalen on him. A little bit stronger in the base who can deal with more of the size issues that um, Siakam presents. Uh, I think Jalen's a slightly better on-ball defender than Tatum is. Um, mm-hmm. And Tatum's a better help defender. So in that case, it makes sense yep. to match up that way. Um, and you know, the other thing that leads to is how do they match up with the rest of the guys? Cause I think, you know, Siakam's tough matchup and I think they have multiple options there. And then they have the two guards, Van Vliet and Lowry, who you match up with. And I assume smart will guard one of those guys. But the question is who guards the other one of those guys and who guards OG in the starting lineup, um, between Tatum and Kemba, um, Kemba's played some defense on OG in throughout the year. Um, and they've put uh, they've put Tatum on Lowry or Tatum on Van Vliet. And it's okay because um, you're not that worried about OG posting up Kemba. He's never going to do it. So, you know, there is some issues on the glass. And I think for the most part, you can then switch anything with the guards and – Pascal, if you if you keep Kemba on OG, who's usually standing in the corner, you know, mm-hmm. she's trying to shoot corner threes. Yeah. Um, but it's a fascinating question. Same thing that we talked about on the other side of the ball. But Stevens has all sorts of options here defensively. Both these both these teams have incredible defensive versatility. Really good defenders, and even off his bench. Same with Nurse. Stevens has you know maybe not maybe very limited offensive options, but Wanamaker's a solid defender. Williams and Ojale and Langford are all good defenders. Time Lord can be a shot blocker. So there's all sorts of defensive options. Um, so I'll be really interested to see what, what, what Stevens does here. Yeah, no, exactly. And I, I think the other interesting question for me on this side of the ball um, is who, who do you think Nick Nurse is going to close with? I mean, you have to, maybe you think after how the, the end of that Magic series went that Ibaka has kind of sealed it as the guy. You know, if you got Gasol out there, you got a lot more ball movement. If they want to go small and throw, you know, Siakam at the five because Tice isn't really a threat offensively. Maybe they got Norman Powell out there. Expect to see what they're on the court. Yeah, I, I, I expect it to be Ibaka, who's played very well in the bubble. Gasol has been struggling. Um, I liked your point on possibly Powell because I don't think there's any real concern with Tice. And it wouldn't shock me that if Powell was in, that that would force Stevens to go with Wanamaker as his fifth guy on the floor or Grant Williams or, or, or whatever. 
But I think the only issue with Noah Baca, not that he's an unbelievable rim protector right now, is that if you have Pascal at the five, you also Pascal is also a very good wing defender, so is likely to be guarding one of the best wings in the Celtics. Um, and so then there's really no one at the rim, right? Yeah. I guess at You're... least if there's a at least if you keep a Baca on the floor and Tice plays, you know, Tice may pick and pop for the occasional three, but but Ibaka can be at the rim, protecting mm-hmm. the rim down the stretch. And I think that's probably what's going to lead to Nurse going with Ibaka. But really, any of these guys could play. And it's, it's, yeah. a, it's you know, Gasol goes very hot and cold, but, but he has good games and he can really defend still. So it wouldn't shock me to see Ibaka or Gasol. And then, you know, going small is a bit of a changeup, but it wouldn't be shocking to see Powell either. Yeah. Who, might be the most, who might be the most surprising 16 points per game scorer uh, in NBA history. I was shocked when I saw that earlier this week. Yeah, I think even just having this conversation raises an interesting tension in this uh, this game is that I think the Celtics' high-level talent, they're one, two, and three. You know, Tatum, Jalen, and uh, Kemba, I think, are, are definitely better than the Raptors, one, two, and three. But it's the depth of the Raptors. I mean, they got seven guys who you'd be comfortable having on the floor at the end of the game between, you know, all the ones we just mentioned. And so I think the difference between the Raptors fifth through seventh guys and the minutes that they're giving you versus, you know, Celtics and ice Wanamaker. Yeah. Yeah. Like that'll be interesting. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, you know, that's where the huge issue with, with, um, you know, Hayward comes in here because I think, you know, Stevens had six guys he could trust and now he has five to play down the stretch. And, you know, it, it, you know, Smart can get into foul trouble. You know, Tyus can foul out. He commits a ton of fouls. And so, you know, there are going to be situations where Stevens is, is uncomfortable with a guy out there that he has there in the closing minutes. Um, any overall series thoughts here? My main thoughts are that I expected to be one of the lower scoring series of, of the uh, – mm-hmm of the bubble uh both teams are really good defensively uh and you know the celtics do a lot of isoing um and the toronto is good defenders to guard that and toronto scores a ton in transition off of turnovers yep. um and the celtics don't turn it over much and they get back and they get back on d really well and they they're the best transition defense uh in the nba so with all those factors, I could be a low-scoring uh, series, but a, a really tight series um, in terms of, you know, scores of games. I guess one thing I'm, I'm interested to see in the bubble is that with no home court advantage, you know, it wouldn't shock me to see this be a five-game series where there's a bunch of really tight games just because okay. there's no home court advantage either yeah. way. Um, and I could see it going five either way. I'm just saying uh, – I'm just saying – just because I think it's going to be really tight doesn't mean that I think it's going to go long. And I think a lot of that has to do with the lack of home court advantage and the lack of, you know, maybe getting that call when it's a two, one series and it's a tight game in the fourth quarter. And, you know, maybe it was a foul, maybe it was not. And the home team gets the call to tie it up to two, that stuff doesn't really exist. So that's, just something else to look forward. I mean, giving free gambling advice there seems like the value play is uh, putting some money on Celtics in five and or uh, Raptors in five. The one thing I would say is I've had a couple, couple friends point out that I think home court has actually been shown thus far in the bubble to have a bit of an advantage. Speaking, I I agree with what you're saying. Um, I'll go ahead and give you a prediction if that's kind of what you're asking for a little bit. Yeah, Personally, yeah. Give me a prediction. I I'm actually thinking Celtics in seven. 
Um, I know that the Hayward loss is going to hurt them, but I just I don't have enough confidence in, in who's going to score the basketball down the stretch for the Raptors unless Kyle Lowry, you know, plays the series of his life. But I just don't think he has the same juice around the basket. And I think Siakam, don't get me wrong, he's, he's great at picking on weak defenders, but the Celtics have three high-level guys that they can throw at him. And I just don't see his, you know, spin move back and forth you know, throw a layup way up in the air, uh, being enough to close games in down the stretch. And so um, if I were a betting man, which traditionally I'm not, um, I would put my money on Celtics in seven. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd probably go Raptors in seven if you made me pick. I just think that as the games go on here, the Celtics are going to be playing like everyone like 40 minutes a night for like a million straight games in a row. And it's going to wear on them and it's going to get, it's just going to be too much in the end, but it's going to be a really good series. I think, I think it's a series that, you know, most, you know, NBA talking heads are, are most excited for in these playoffs. Um, so I'm looking, really looking forward to it. Um, let's get to some other quick hitters. Yeah. Five minutes left. I, I was Dave COVID corner for next time. Um, we don't want to go sure. too deep in our bag on the first pod. Um, so we can just r- run through these quick hitters and then call it a day. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, my, my first, thing i've noticed in the nba is that in the bubble is that the refs need to chill out a little there's <laughs> a lot of techs there were six techs in, in, in mavs clippers uh it just feels like there's like the refs are hearing everything because it's quiet and they're in the arena so they're hearing everything players say and they're taking every, they're giving everyone text but it's just like i don't know it just feels like unnecessary like guys like nothing's changed from before the bubble like, i guess you hear it more but like Guys are going to chirp you. Like, you should, like, the bar for giving out a tech from a guy chirping, you should be so high. Like, yeah. it should be, like, disrespectful. Like, not like that's a horrible call or, like, clapping at a ref or whatever. Like, if, if, if like, like if, if they, like, disrespect you or your family, that should be a tech. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I will say at the same time, I've started to get a little annoyed with all the whining that you see from these guys. I, don't get me wrong, I love Luca, but I've started to notice, you know, his, his pouty face that he makes at the ref. So maybe the refs are just annoyed as opposed to uh, angry. Yeah. Uh, anything you want to discuss? Uh, I mean, I'll just give a quick, I don't think we need to go into this, but I, I think RIP Blazers. Dame being ruled out for game five. I just do not see them have, having anywhere to enough juice offensively um, to, to keep up with the Lakers. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll bid them adieu, and I think uh, it'll give the Lakers an extra day or two of rest before they move on to play either the, the Rockets or the Thunder. Yeah, just not enough defense for the Blazers and, and too, much, too much on Dame and CJ's shoulders and, you know, playing 42, 44 minutes a night for the last month has been, you know, taking its toll on Dame and it's too bad, but you know, they should be back. And I think I expect them to be a top, you know, four or five, six seed next year with what they need is help on the wing and, and, and they'll get it. I mean, you know, they'll have Rodney Hood back. And they'll, they'll still have Trent. They'll probably still have Mello. You know, they have Nurkic. They'll have Collins as their backup five. I think, I think they'll be better next year. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and the last thing that, that, that we discussed briefly was, uh, the German national team, you know, I, I was thinking about this because, you know, there are three, you know, playoff team starters, like, like, not like the, not like the bottom of the playoffs, like three very solid playoff teams starters are from Germany. We got, or Schroeder's off the bench, but, but, uh, you know, there's, 
but effectively a starter. There's Schroeder, there's Maxi Kleber, there's Tice. Um, you know, and I, I expect to see more from the German national team going forward. I mean, there's not a lot of great guard options outside of Schroeder. I was, I was looking. Uh, there's Paul Zipser, who also was a starter on a playoff team at one point, the eight seed uh, Chicago Bulls a few years ago. I was a big Zipser fan, but he's washed out of the NBA. But you also have Mo Wagner. You've, you've Isaac Bonga, who was starting on the bubble Wizards. So, you know, there's, there's potential there. So I, I want to see the German national team, like, I don't know, make the Olympics. I, I mean, or, you know, yeah, be I, a factor moving forward. Maybe, I mean, maybe, they, could th- coax, th- maybe they could coax uh, Dirk or uh, Chris Kamen, who has a, a German grandfather um, out, of, out of retirement to try to, to make that push. But, yeah, it's, it, was, it was a great observation. You texted me, and I started thinking about it and then doing a little bit of research, and I was like, oh, they, they actually would have a nice little team. Yeah, not shockingly, most of the Germans who are well-known basketball players are like forwards and centers. Um, you know, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, not a ton of like small, quick athleticism in Germany, I feel like. Um, but uh, I think they could really be a solid team. I mean, like running a bunch of Schroeder Kleba or Schroeder Tice pick and rolls, pick and pops um, should be effective against, you know, most countries i mean they have three whatever i don't know, top 150 players in the nba like that's that's a solid start and i would imagine the dirk generation the dirk generation has inspired more you know people who are not seven feet tall to play basketball because i think i imagine the only basketball in germany 15 years ago is if you were enormous which is why there's only big guys around in the nba but like you'd like to see some like i don't know someone who's like six two like playing or something um, so, you know, I'll be looking out for the German national team and those three guys aren't too old. So another four years, 2021 Olympics. I, I, I want, I want to see the German national team there. <laughs> I got to say for around for 50 minutes of conversation, did they ever get a treat when you just went deep in your bag for the German for a couple minutes on the, the German national team. So I think with that, we'll leave everyone um, I, looking at the schedule. I would say, you know, maybe we, we target another recording for um, I mean, we, we could we could do tomorrow if we're trying to talk Thunder Rockets. We could also wait until, you know, Thursday or Friday if we want to talk about uh, these same teams. Um, so we'll, we'll see. We'll play that by ear. We'll see. All right. It was great talking to everybody. I uh, hope you enjoyed the pod. Yeah, th- thanks, Sheed. Uh, we'll we'll be in touch again soon. Appreciate your time. Yeah, see you.